Hello and welcome to the No Approval Podcast with me, Pillar. So for this week, I just really wanted to bring you into a bit of a season that I'm having. I'm really in a re-evaluate my career season. So I'm just thinking about like where I'm at at the moment and where I see my career going and thinking logically about the next steps that need to happen to take my career to the next level. Now, when I get in these moments, one of the first people that I call and have on speed dial is my dear friend, Tasha Antwi. You might recognize the name because we've had her on the podcast before. Tasha is an SEO icon. So SEO is digital marketing. Since having her on the podcast, actually, she went from announcing that she was head of SEO for a new agency that she joined. And within six months of her being on the podcast, she got promoted to director of search. So, you know, like Tasha is really about it. She's one of those people that is really about her business. So I constantly have her on speed dial when I'm going through my moments and she just you know whips me into shape so what I wanted to do is just share some gems from her from our last conversation so we're just going to recap quickly how she works her way through the ranks starting out her career in influencer marketing and now being one of the most sought after SEOs in the digital marketing industry let's get into it Hey babe, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It feels weird doing this because obviously we're actually friends in real life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. And for context, we have been friends for, oh my gosh, how many years has it been now? Has it been like 10 years? It's more than that. I've known you since I was like 18, 19, something mad like that. Tash, you're one of the first people that I know who worked in what we call now influencer marketing like you worked for certain brands and then you would choose like influencers to gift stuff to would you pay them as well actually so talk me through that okay so it's a bit of an interesting one so obviously like when I started working in SEO back in 2013 now 2013 influencer marketing was pretty small maybe slightly non-existent at that time um, obviously there were influencers they were there were people making content but they weren't necessarily getting paid so when I was working with influencers at the time we just called them bloggers yeah um just to keep it simple yeah we were just like we were working with bloggers and we were, we were, we were having a lot of we were doing a lot of guest posting so this is a very old school kind of SEO tactic that um people used to do um in terms of like getting bloggers who have blogs basically to write content and link back to wherever we want them to link and at the time I was doing a lot of this activity for one of the fashion brands I was working with at the time and it was so weird like it's a well-known like high street brand it's so funny I used to tweet this regularly like looking for f bloggers to work with a well-known high street brand blah 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 and it was so funny. Hashtag because... press request, hashtag journal quest. Yep. <laughs> I remember. And I would literally be tweeting and I'll be asking all my friends, retweet this tweet <laughs> just because I knew that I would appear in the thread. And the more I appear in the threads for those hashtags, the more I'd get more bloggers and influencers approaching me. And it was so funny because at the time, people, I could say, this brand wants to work with you. They love your blog, blah, blah, blah. People would be like, oh my God. And we'll go off. 
and somehow find items to take pictures in and write a whole blog post and do everything without being paid. Until one day, someone said, is there a budget? And I was like, ooh, what's happening? (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, is there a budget? And then we had to get a budget. And then the budget, basically, we still wasn't paying people in cash. We were paying people with gift cards. Gift cards? Yeah, we'll say, yeah, we'll say like this, this brand really likes your, your content. And then obviously the brand would issue us gift cards to give to the, the bloggers. The bloggers would then use that to essentially go and buy items from the brand to then, you know, make content with basically. Yeah. And that's how it was. So yeah, it was an interesting time because I was having a debate with someone the other day. I don't know if this is a wild statement to make, but I feel like SEO people kind of potentially catapulted the whole thing, if you know what I mean, like mm. kind of kick-started the influencer marketing thing. Like I said, there were always people out there, like Lookbook used to be pretty big back in the day. People were showing, casing their looks and things from beforehand, like on Facebook and other like platforms, but people weren't necessarily getting paid. And obviously as an SEO there was this thing where obviously we knew that, okay, backlinks is a, is a big ranking factor if you want to appear highly in Google. So we were going after bloggers, essentially. Obviously, times have changed, and that's a pretty old-school SEO tactic that we don't really practice anymore. If anything, influencer marketing has kind of been taken over by more the PR and social kind of focus in terms of, like, campaigns and the type of people that would approach influencers now directly. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, it was an interesting time. So basically that's what it was back in the day. Like we were literally like outreaching, sending people gift cards to go and get stuff. But aside from that, I was also doing like digital PR. So some days I could be doing outreach. Other days I could be on the phone to a journalist at like Grazia or something to basically feature something digitally for like a a brand I was working for back in the day. So when they started asking for budgets, like what was the most you ever paid an influencer? Ooh, um, I don't know if I should say the influencer's name, but there is a famous Italian influencer and she used to go by a particular blog name, which has now changed. She now goes by her her normal name and she's actually married to like a a famous um, Italian singer. (laughs) You could probably guess who it is. But I remember at the time... She did a few blog posts Mm -hmm. and she also did like some stuff on social. So because she was doing blog posts, obviously they had a large following on social media. It was also like another like boost for us, if that makes sense. And I remember we paid her like 20K and I remember thinking to myself, hang on, I'm going to start a blog. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Because how is this person just collecting 20 bags just for this and I was just like just for pictures and uh, just for pictures pictures and a bit of content to go on her blog and that's the difference between if an SEO person was to approach an influencer versus a PR team approaching an influencer we are more concerned of was your blog good quality whereas the PR people would just look at how big your following is and engagement and stuff like that but now obviously like I said we've moved away from that but that's basically what the difference was but I remember it inspired me to be like hang on a minute I like fashion I like style aside from this thing I do in digital marketing and SEO so I was like maybe I should start a blog too and did you well I know the answer I did (laughs) yeah I did I did um I did and actually was making quite a nice little pocket money from it. Should I say, well, maybe a bit more than pocket money, but do you know what I mean? It was a nice side hustle when I was consistently 
posting. Yeah, definitely. Because I remember you would share sometimes, oh, how much should I charge these guys? How much should I charge those guys? Yeah. But what would you say is like, what kind of things were you looking for when you approached certain people? Because I know, obviously, being your friend, I have some sort of insight as in like sometimes you would send certain influencers and the brands wouldn't want to gift them and some other influencers would get gifted. What were the key differences on who would be appealing to your clients? Okay, so this is an interesting question, potentially a controversial answer incoming. But basically, um, the preference was not black people. Really? That's quite sad. Yeah, Yeah, it was quite bad. So like, it's always harder in general anyway in the influencer marketing kind of industry. We all know that Black and Asian influencers don't probably get paid as much as the other brothers and sisters, you know. So, um, so yeah, I did encounter that quite a bit where I was actively trying to get brand deals for other people. And sometimes some of these people would have bigger followings than their other brothers and sisters, but, you know, they wouldn't get that. And um, some of it is also to do with like how they set up their personal branding as well. A lot of brands that I would work with obviously had a desire to obviously look a bit more premium and this and that. So if you, for example, mentioned Primark, that was an automatic, you're off the list. You're not considered if you had mentioned them. So yeah, so that's how it used to be. Really? Why is that? Is that because like your brands were luxury or even like high street retailers would be like, if they're posting Primark, we won't post them. So I've worked with a mix of brands of like high street and luxury and both of them are the same. Even the high street ones, because they kind of want to position their brands slightly premium mm. or they kind of want to go for the like the high low luxe kind of feel. So they would prefer influencers or bloggers to work with who gave that high-low lux feels. Yeah, so what does high-low lux mean? Like, you gotta break it down for some of us. It's like wearing an outfit from Zara and then having a Balenciaga bag. Okay. So it's like, you look premium, but most of your outfits probably come from the high street, but maybe you finish it off with like luxury, you know, accessories, for example. Got you, basically got you. So what like a normal person like me and you could do, basically, it's not out of reach. High-low lux is not out of reach fashion. Entry-level luxury. Don't get offended because I know you're not entry-level. <laughs> no, no, no. And like, yeah, so like, for example, a lot of our brands in the brand guidelines that they'll have, they don't want you to feature anything else that comes from another store, but it's okay if you have a, a designer bag. They'll say that in a brief. Yeah, that's kind of what how they would... They would do it. Mm. And what happened to like the people you used to work with back in the day? Are they still around? Have any of them like continued to become successful or have some of them fallen off? Yeah. Do you know what? A lot of people have like become very successful since that period. Like I remember before I left my first agency, I was kind of heading up slash kind of building out their new digital PR offering. And as part of that, we were trying to have a collective of influencers that we would like work with regularly. And quite a few of those people have like blown. And even like now to this day, like I'm still friends with some of them. So yeah. And what's been the key for the people that you've seen like go on to be successful? What would you say is the key thing that has made them a success over their counterparts or their peers? Um, consistency. Really? Yeah, I would say consistency and then they're also committed. 
So like probably know what I mean when I say this, but for everyone that doesn't know what I mean when I say this, I'm reading a book called um, Think and Grow Rich. And it basically talks about people and their goals. And basically, if you're interested, you will do what is convenient for you, basically. Like if you can't bother to do something, you won't do it. But you might be wishing for the thing and you, you want it. But if you're committed, you do what it takes. And I feel like those people that have succeeded, they were consistent and they did what it takes. So like there's a lot of influences that I remember from when I started in my career that I was working with. And now they're like in the stars. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it, and those people, they were the ones that would make content so good that brands would say, can we use that for an ad? Mm. Do you know what I mean? You can tell that they've put their back into it and have made sacrifices and that kind of thing. So yeah, the consistency, commitment, and then also making sure that their content is always quality. But what about you then? So what has been your secret sauce? Because as we said, last to graduate, most senior. What's been your secret sauce to getting up the ladder? Um, do you know what? I think it's probably commitment as well. And I've tried to pass this down to as many people like that I can or that I come across. First of all, I was one of two black girls in our department and I constantly was being called Chantel. Meanwhile, me and Chantel don't look alike, but you know them ones where like, because <laughs> we're the only two black girls, I'm putting it out there. That's basically what it was like. And then it was also heavily male orientated. So when I started, because we had so many fashion brands that we were working with, a lot of the guys don't even know what three quarter lengths are and that kind of thing. So I kind of made it a point to be an expert in that. In fashion? Yeah, in fashion when I was at my first agency, because these guys who were in charge didn't have a clue. And then another thing I realised was that there was just too many gatekeepers, should I say, to the top. And the gatekeeping was like, okay, I want to work to this next level to get promotion. They're like, okay, so this report, you need to be able to do this report, but only the managers can do it. And it's like, so how am I going to learn? So I realized very quickly that, you know what? Yeah, if I'm going to sit down and wait for someone to train me or or do whatever, I'm going to be here rotting. (laughs) I'm literally going to rot. And I was just like, I just need to do something for myself. So I, I stopped basically following what everyone else was doing. And I basically started teaching myself. I wanted to learn how they did this complex Excel report. So I downloaded it and reverse engineered it to teach myself how to do it. Wow. Um, I would actively teach myself different things. I was doing different courses. I would be online. I'll be teaching myself technical SEO because nobody's here to teach me. Because literally, as an exec, all I was doing was prospecting, outreach, keyword research and doing on-page optimizations. That was it. And obviously, like... If I'm just doing that, I'm not going to learn anything. So I had to be active and do that. And every person I've worked with, especially if there's like someone of colour, I've always taught them the same thing. If you try and wait for these people, these people aren't bothered about you. And where I was, was very much a bit of a boys club. So all the boys, they would promote themselves. They'll go out and they'll do their own thing and wouldn't involve any of us girls. So it literally was like, you have to go and do that. And in order to be like that, you need to have some sort of drive and know what you want, if that makes sense. You have to basically don't wait for people to come and promote you. You go and promote yourself. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm. Like, don't wait for other people to say, okay, now it's time that you can do this. Just go out and do it. If you know, like, for example, I remember reading, um, we've got this thing at my old agency um, that I just left. We had something called an experience matrix. And I was looking at what do you need to be like a, a CEO or a, 
or like like someone pretty senior in the SLT team. And one of the things was public speaking. And I'm not that confident to go out and do big public speaking. But I then applied. I started applying to speak at conferences because I knew that this is something that at this particular level you need to be able to do. No one pushed me to do that. I just did my own research because I know where I want to go. Yeah, yeah. So that's basically what you need to do. And when you started getting these like public speaking gigs, how did your team react or how did the people in the companies react? Um, it was a weird one because... The old one was probably a bit more on the corporate side of things, maybe not as fun and as fluid, if you know what I mean. So people did go and speak, but they didn't really do much promo on it in terms of, you know, they didn't do much promo in in terms of that. So they were like, oh, okay, it's fine. You know, it's okay. I did remember um, one of my managers, when I first joined my last company, um, within a few weeks, I got offered to speak at um, a company conference in front of like 500 people about the work I was doing on Lego. And he was like, how did you, he was like, how did you, how did you get that? <laughs> he just was like, what the heck? He was like, I've been here years and I've never done that before. And I literally was like, wow, I don't even know. And do you know what? I'll tell you how I got that. And I think I've, I've had this conversation to you before in terms of like fashion and personal style, because obviously fashion and personal style is like my kind of thing in general. And I take pride in how I look, obviously. But I remember on my first day, I wore this pink velvet suit and it caught everyone's attention and on the first day I had the CEO introducing himself to me so that's how can you do that (laughs) not you introducing yourself to the CEO the CEO came and introduced himself to you I love it because he was like he's like your suit is nice (laughs) so you know I had the right people coming to to talk to me. So that's another thing I always try to advise people especially if you're coming up the food chain you need to look the part you can't just you need to be looking like you're you're an account director. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> or you're you're a CEO or you're this and that. When you're when you're entering a building, you need to command the space. Wow. <laughs> part of that is how you present yourself. So yeah, so yeah, when I started on my first day, I wore a pink velvet suit. I had loads of people coming to intro themselves to me and obviously have a chat about the suit. And then obviously, because I was already on chatty terms. Um, with the right people, they were like, "Hey, do you want to go speak here?" And I remember thinking, "Oh my god." I was actually shitting my pants. I'm not going to lie. And I just said, yes. I was like, I can't get out of this now. <laughs> and yeah. And um, I remember like my manager, he was like, wow, I've been here for a while. And no one's asked me to do that. <laughs> but yeah. Do you know what? Yeah. That is, it's so true what you said about like the conversations. I know, for example, like I get invited to speak on panels or host panels every now and again. And sometimes people are like, how did you get that? Sometimes even me, myself, I'm like, how did I get that? And do you know one of the things that I've noticed it is, and my friend Jason tweeted this the other day. He said, remember that one day, like the interns become the execs. So yeah. it's all of those relationships you have with, for me, it's always the assistants, the coordinators, like all your peers, when they come up or even when they're in a position, because a lot of the older generation look to them, who should we book? Who's good? Who does this? Who does that? And that's how I get half my things. It's always through the people who are the interns, the assistants, the coordinators. And as they go more senior, you maintain those relationships. Once you get on chatty terms with someone, that will bypass any form of promotion or whatever. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And even now that I've obviously like left my old company and I've joined um, 
wise and I'm having a fabulous time. My old CEO actually reached out to me and offered like some mentoring and coaching just for free. And um, he he's obviously left that company now to start his own business. But even that's like really nice. And that's all from the first conversation we had on the first day. And he was always good to me as well, like by pushing me to different opportunities and things like that. Like I said, there's not many people of colour like in the industry, especially in the company I was in before. I think me and one other person were like the most senior people in our agency in London. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. I hope that snippet of conversation gave you a little insight into the chats that I have with my friends when I'm, you know, having a bit of a moment about what's happening with my career. So if you liked what you heard, please check out Tasha. She is Tasha Antwi on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. She's always sharing like her day-to-day career stuff, her day-to-day work life. And of course, she is a fashion and beauty babe. So go check her out and I'll be back next week with more episodes. Bye.